welcome to Spirit Connection with Doug Addison. Get ready to hear God, encounter the supernatural, and discover your destiny. Doug is a prophetic speaker, author, and coach whose message of love, hope, and having fun reaches people around the world. Connect with him online at DougAddison.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Spirit Connection podcast. Have a special guest with us this week and a subject that I really, really love to talk about. And it's something that is so important for you. It's going to be a key for you to get set free, to learn some principles on how to break through, how to get healed, how to get financial strategies, how also to get repaid. We're going to be talking about the courts of heaven. And I'm so excited to have a guest with us. It's been a friend of mine for a long, long time, Elizabeth Nixon. She teaches the principles that transform people's lives. She's an author, a speaker, and she's also an attorney. She practices law in California and has actually gone before the Supreme Court, so she knows what she's doing. She's served with the IRS and has been featured in the Vanity Fair magazine and awarded the Businesswoman of the Year. In other words, this is someone special, and the Lord has really blessed me to be a friend with Elizabeth Nixon for a number of years. And wow, I just want to welcome Elizabeth to the show. Thank you, Doug. It's both an honor and a joy to be here with you. Yeah, while we met, we were just talking about it. I think it was back in 2003, and we actually, in Light Connection, we had our office for a while in your law office. We had a space for you guys in the law office right there, Ocean View and everything, as I recall. Yeah, in Santa Monica. Yes. That was back in 2004, during that season when we were learning how to operate in public, you know, in a non-religious way. (laughs) But who would think that we were going to learn to operate in the courts of heaven together? Yeah, it's remarkable. You know, I look back to those days when we're in the law office together, and, you know, we were learning prophetic evangelism, but under the radar. And I would have clients come into my courtroom, and I'd give them prophetic readings, speak to them prophetically, even though they had no idea what that was that was going on. And, uh, you know, during that time, the Lord would show me parallels between like earth courts and his principles. And I used to think, but who's going to be interested in this? I don't know any believer lawyers. No one's going to get this. And no one outside of the law is going to see an application. And yet, look, here we are all these years later, and it's really something that's on his heart that he's releasing. I I know. I'm laughing because I'm the least person who you would think would be talking about legal things, you know. And it's so powerful because God is moving right now. He's opening up something that's so important to understand is that we are now moving into a time of revelation, of understanding on earth as it is in heaven. And these things are happening in heaven all the time. Well, Elizabeth, tell us more about you. Well, you know, as you know, I was practicing law in California, and I did that for about 10 years. And my focus in law was doing uh, business entities and uh, tax estates. And really what that means is I was helping people launch their dreams in business and helping people pass on their inheritance to their kids. And for me, it wasn't just a business thing. It's because of the spiritual implications of those things, of our gifts that we get to step into, our destiny and our spiritual inheritance that we get to step into. 
it was really um, part of my ministry. But what was really hard is I became kind of disenfranchised with the legal system. And what really hurt me the most was seeing these clients that I would work with and seeing that they don't have a spiritual foundation. They didn't have this connection with the Lord that even if they do step into their dreams and their destiny, or even if they do step into an inheritance in the natural realm, there was no concept of this greater purpose, of this greater calling, of this amazing gift that the Lord has for us to walk in in our lives. And so I kind of shifted that and really now focus on preparing people to step into a relationship with the Lord in such a way that in both the natural and the spirit, they can step into their dreams and their destiny and step into the inheritances of God. Wow. So you're basically doing um, supernatural or spiritual inheritances now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so wild. I know that we were in our early startup days back then of uh, prophetic evangelism. We were going out to Venice Beach and Third Street Promenade. We were just doing outreaches everywhere, and you were part of those. We were back in those early days, and it was really formative for me because what was really important for me was understanding not just being in the marketplace, but being with people and being able to speak life to them in such a way that a wall doesn't go up, but that you can have access to speak truth to them. And uh, that was transformative for me. Yeah, for all of us as well. <laughs> and what really what helped me with you and your husband, John, um, is that you helped us as a ministry by inviting us into your law office. And this was, I mean, we we operated in like connection, a ministry. I think we had about, and sometimes we'd have eight people coming in there to those three desks. <laughs> but we were doing that right in front of other attorneys and, and people in the industry that were not believers. Yeah, people would walk into the reception, whether they were clients for a legal matter or other attorneys that had space within that law firm area. And we were just being the kingdom right there. Yeah, it was amazing. I learned a lot. We all learned a lot. And also, uh, you know, God just set this up. He sets things up. And I really believe that, you know, as we were praying ahead of time, the Lord spoke to me that that Elizabeth has something to release that's going to set you up. Mm, that's good. That's really good. So what is it? <laughs> so what is it? <laughs> Well, you know, the way that I like to teach is not actually to hide the ball, but I love to really lead with what's the most important part for me. And the most important part for me at understanding the courts of heaven is to know that it's not about a protocol, that it's not about procedures. It's not really about having to operate within a system, which so much of natural courts are, but it's really learning how to flow with the spirit and understanding that the call of the courts of heaven is not a call to legalism, because it would seem that way since it's about the law, but it's really a call to intimacy and it's a call to maturity. The word in Galatians says that the mark of a mature believer is one who is led by the Spirit. And Doug, I think that you would agree, you know, there are times that we think, oh, I understand how this court things work or that worked a certain way and I'll try that next time. And it really isn't about um, having a conversation about the courts of heaven and learning a protocol or a procedure, my heart today is to encourage people who are pursuing the Lord and who are pursuing their destiny and the ability to step into the supernatural. That's really what the courts are because they're a venue where we really have to just flow with the Spirit and learn how to follow His lead. It's not always going to be the same way. And that's part of the beauty of it, I think. 
Yeah, I love that. And this is what I've learned. It's a relationship. And maybe you're, you're new to this. Maybe you haven't uh, you know, been exposed to it at all. But heaven works very similar to the court systems on earth. In certain parts of heaven, there's different parts. In my Father's house, there's many rooms, Jesus says. And so there's parts of heaven that operate similar to a legal system. But, you know, we go before the Lord every day in prayer. You know, we go before the throne of grace. That's court system. And yeah, we don't yeah. go in and say, yeah, your honor, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, if it pleases the court, we don't, we don't have to get all stiff. We just go in and pour out our request to the Lord. And it, just like Elizabeth saying, it's a relational process. I so love that you said that because people tend to get a bit um, weird about, oh, what does it mean to go into the courts? And really going into the courts of heaven is really just our prayers. It's our prayers with the Lord. Specifically for me, it's been either with intercession issues um, and when I'm praying the word, when I'm praying back the word to the Lord and um, calling forth his promises, that's really what the courts are. Yeah, you know, um, we see it in operation right in Genesis and where God confronts Cain about killing his brother Abel and the blood of his brother cried out from the land. That is a call for justice. And whenever you see justice and injustice, that's the courts of heaven. It it totally is. And, you know, um, I think the important part to point out at the beginning also is the courts of heaven isn't just like this new trendy topic that everybody's on top of. The Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles all wrote from the perspective of the courts, the language that they use. They talk about the judicial thrones of God, not just the kingly throne, but the magistrate, the judicial throne. They talk about the courts of God. The Trinity of God is described as a judge and a lawyer and a witness. And we are often identified as petitioners. So, you know, for me as the lawyer, when I started really researching it and being a lawyer and operating and the Lord would show me things, I'm like, it's all right there in the word. You're already saying that there are the courts of God where the father sits as the judge and Christ is our advocate and our attorney and the Holy Spirit is our witness. And we bring our petitions as petitioners. I mean, I, for me, it was kind of like a geek out moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it is so, it's such a natural thing. For, the, for those of us who've been praying and interceding for years, it's just a natural thing to go before the Lord with your requests. But now the Lord's releasing this new revelation that's coming, that's helping us to become more effective and to have more authority. You know, one of the things I like to answer is when people uh, ask, why is a court procedure even necessary? And that's actually a question that I would ask for, uh, that I would answer for clients in my law office, why do I have to go to court on this? And I think it's good to point out there's a couple of reasons why a heavenly court procedure is necessary. There is sometimes a general error belief that if there's a promise of God in the word, then it just is, and I should just step into it. It should just be, I shouldn't have to do anything for it. But, you know, the biggest promise that is in the word is the promise and gift of salvation. And Romans 10.9 tells us that there is a specific way that we get to take title to it or activate it or take part in it to make it our own. And that's confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And I think that's the, the model for all other promises. And that's one of the things that a court venue will provide to us, that we get to go and activate the promise that is there. So we get to go and confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. That's how we take title. You know, I would help clients 
take title to a home. And so we would have to go to court and get permission to put their name on the deed. And then they would be able to take it and record it. And an interesting aspect of that is really intriguing for me because in the natural realm, when you put your name on a deed and then you record it in the public records, it really isn't telling you or the judge what you own because you already know this is mine. This is my house. What it does is it tells everybody else in the world how they have to deal with you. So, for example, a utilities company, now that your name is on the deed, they have to treat you as the owner. And insurance companies have to allow you to change, change insurance to cover you as the owner. And see, I have seen how when we go into the heavenly courts and we take title to those promises that we don't actually have yet, you know, there might be a health promise that isn't fully yours yet or a unity in the family promise that isn't fully yours yet. But when you take that promise from the word into the courts, you confess with your mouth this promise, you believe in your heart that it's true, not only is it something that you're identifying for yourself, but now the judge of heaven, who is God, requires the rest of the spiritual realm to deal with you in that new capacity. Wow, that's so powerful. I mean, I'm, I'm trembling, actually. There's a, I had never really uh, associated that verse in Romans, and it, it, it brought, like, I felt, uh, I wouldn't say it's a fear of the Lord, but a real seriousness came over me. I realized, my goodness, I do know we have power in our words and everything, but wow, yeah. that, that brought it home. So what types of yeah. issues can we bring before the courts of heaven? For me, I believe that the primary purpose is for redemption and for inheritance. And I think if we look at the word, those are the two primary big picture pieces of the word. In order to step into the promises, which are ours as believers, we have to first come through the blood. So the two courts that I primarily identify in the writings and the work that I have is the court of redemption and then the courts of inheritance. Because when we can come through the blood, then that actually cleanses us so that then we're in a position to take the inheritance. Wow, Does that, that make sense? Yeah, that's. Ex- I've never heard explained that way, but that really explains it. Yeah. You know, oftentimes what we're taking to the courts are prayers that are unanswered. There's a promise that we have from the word. Uh, there's a promise that we have from a prophetic word. There's something that the Lord has quickened to our, our own hearts that we've been contending for, but it remains unanswered. And the courts are the venue to take that in. And sometimes there's a reason why the enemy has a legal right to prevent that answer to prayer. So what this looks like is, you know, in the natural, there are criminal courts and there are civil courts. And I equate this blood court, this court of redemption, to the criminal court, specifically because of Revelation 12.10 that says, the accuser of the brethren, our adversary, accuses the brethren before God day and night. And so there's usually only two reasons why he has a legal right to prevent an answer to our prayer. It's sin. It's either our personal sin or our bloodline sin. The nice thing is the answer to both of those is the blood. But what's powerful is the word spells out, and it goes into great detail in Galatians, that the purpose of the blood does several things. First of all, it it serves to prevent the record of sin even coming into court. So, you know, we see this like when evidence can't get into the court. And, you know, we see this in the crime uh, dramas on television all the time where the prosecutors are trying to get evidence in. And see, the enemy is always trying to accuse us and get evidence against us. But if we step into that court of redemption, 
and simply claim the blood, then it does three things. It prevents that evidence from even coming in against us. The word says it also um, seals up the matter. Now, this is, here's the legal moment for me again as a lawyer. This is a legal thing because if a judge determines that a certain matter, we see it with celebrity cases all the time, where it's sealed in the, in the court records and it's not available for public access. The blood seals it. What that means is the accuser and the enemy no longer have access to that information. And it's a private matter now between me and the judge, between me and God. But then the word says one more thing. It says not only that, but that it creates um, a pardon, that we're pardoned from that sin. That's what the word remission means. But what that word remission means, it doesn't just mean that we're forgiven. It means that it's struck from the record. There's nothing even sealed because we're treated as if we never even sinned in the first place. Wow. Now that's the that's a court of redemption. Yes. Now how about the in court of inheritance? How does that work? The court of inheritance, once you've come through the blood courts and now the way that the Lord sees you is as if you've never sinned, which remember, now that means the rest of the way the rest of the spiritual realm has to see you, as if you are sin free. Now you can come because there's no legal prohibition or blockage to you stepping into the promises of God. And there are these promises of God that we're contending for. There's promises for health, for healing, for prosperity, for success, for vindication, for unity in the family, for peace, for joy. I mean, the list could go on. And I love to say, identify those things that are really on your heart. You know, if it's a healing thing that you're contending for, a unity or salvation of someone The Lord has promised the salvation of our household members, and we can stand for that. The courts of inheritance is not a criminal court like the courts of redemption. It's a civil court. Now, the reason this is important is because in a probate court in the natural realm, there is no prosecution. This is simply a matter between me and my family and the judge who's going to affirm what we're doing. So see, the courts of inheritance are a civil court where the accuser of the brethren has no standing, he has no place. This is simply a matter between the will of God, the promises of God, and the heirs of God. There's no enemy in the courts of inheritance. So first of all, they're just a really fun place to be. Wow, yeah. I've never, ever heard it described this way, and um, I'm taking notes, actually. It's so good. (laughs) The beautiful thing about the courts of inheritance is uh, the scriptures are really clear about how to operate there. The book of Galatians, uh, Paul actually says, what if we deal with the will of God as if it was his last will and testament? And he describes reasons why we may not be walking in the fullness of the promises. In fact, Galatians 4, uh, 1 and 2 says this, that if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves. Because until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had, they have to obey the guardians and trustees until they reach an age of maturity that the father has set. And uh, verse 3 of Galatians 4 says, and that's the same way it is for us before Christ. So there's this powerful understanding that says we want to step into the promises of God, but why haven't we? And one of those reasons is before we attain an age of maturity that the Father has set, 
we're the same as slaves. We have ownership of it all, but no administration, no distribution, no um, management rights to it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. (laughs) So the question that I asked as I read that was, then who is the guardian? If there's a guardian in place over us until we reach maturity, I had two questions. Who is the guardian and what's the age of maturity? And Galatians is very clear that that actually is the role of the law. That the law is set over us as a trustee. It says it's explicitly in Galatians 3, verse 24, Paul says, I'm quoting, let me put it to you another way. The law was our guardian, a trustee of the promise until Christ came. So the law's purpose was to actually to preserve the father's estate because in a natural uh, case in the earth, if a child inherits their father's fortune, you know, before they mature, they blow it all. Right. <laughs> we see it often, right? So the law was there to teach us how to act so that when we are able to have full access to it, we know what to do with it. We know not to squander it and get rid of it. So that was the role of the law. And then what's really interesting to me as a lawyer, because I used to write these trust documents, right? We used to write all these clauses in that would preserve the estate. And the main role of a trustee in a regular earth, you know, trust is to give that child what they need. They pay for education, they pay for food, they pay for clothing, they provide housing. So they have their needs met, but they never experience and enjoy the abundance. And I would say that so many believers could describe their life that well, that I am living with provision, my needs are being met, I have a house and I have a job and I have you know shoes on my feet, but I'm really not anywhere near abundance. And so one of the things that I've done is I've gone through the book of Galatians and just created a, a, it's really a prayer guide. I call it a petition because I'm a lawyer, but it's a prayer guide to go through these verses that identify, hey, the law is my trustee, but I want to step out from under that trustee. So I'm going to ask the trustee to be removed. And the word says the only requirement we have to meet in order to have this trustee dismissed is to attain maturity. But the world and the enemy would describe to us maturity as how we act and what we do when we get it right and how we're, you know, living outside of sin. But Galatians 5.8 says, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Yeah. And this is so beautiful because it says, if you're led by the Spirit, you don't just do whatever you want. You're not drugged about and really tormented by the wants and wishes of the world. And the beautiful picture, you know, Doug, we kind of talked about the throne of grace. Like to me, the court of inheritance is really a a call to live at the foot of the throne of grace. Because being led by the Spirit in order to step into the fullness of the promises in the court of inheritance is not about getting it right or wrong. It's not about doing something the right way. It's simply asking, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? and doing that, and agreeing with that. That is very powerful. There's so much freedom in there, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, You know, what you're describing actually is how people are praying, how we're interacting, but you're putting it into a legal term that can be understood, and there's more power behind it. I think that's the beauty of the courts of heaven, because we could say going to the courts of heaven is just our prayers and our, our praying back the word. But when you understand the context, when you understand the authority that you have, 
The word says that we are sons and that when we're led by the spirit, we're not under the law and we can step into the fullness of the inheritance. That's powerful. That is very powerful. I guess it helps to know the word then to know when to object. I've always wanted to say objection (laughs) because the enemy will violate us, right? You know, as a lawyer, I was always afraid to say objection. Um, because you do have to know exactly the grounds of your objection. And as a lawyer, you know, courts have to know the grounds of your objection. You have to know what the ramifications are. But, you know, for us as believers, the threshold is so low. My objection is anything opposed to the fullness of the promises for me is illegal. Yeah. Well, here's a question, though. Can, yeah, can I ahead. just get onto this? Because I, I, this a burning question is, people always ask me this, based on some experiences I've had too, can you take someone into the court of heaven? What would that oh, look like? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me this question. Because I would say, no. And the reason I say that is because the word is very clear that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And the word is very clear that the Lord prefers mercy and that the role of love is to cover our neighbor. And I do not believe that the role of the courts of heaven is to bring division between people, but it is to cut off the works of the enemy. And so that would be my position on that. Yeah. And that actually, I remember sharing my story with you, my dream is I had a grievance with someone when I first started getting into this by 2011. And I had a dream. I was about to go into the courts of heaven to accuse this person, and I was met by a mediating angel, and I was told to mediate outside court. Yeah, it's powerful. You know, in fact, Jesus is described in two ways, both as an advocate, which is the lawyer, and he's described as a mediator. So see, we're already identifying that Christ has two separate roles. One is within the court and one is outside. And what's interesting, just from a legal perspective, on the difference of those two things. If I go to court, then I am subject and bound by whatever the court imposes. And I don't really have any ability to disagree or to not accept a court order. But if I go into mediation, we can agree amongst ourselves how this is going to be. And once we agree to it, then the court ratifies it and the court doesn't really adjust it. So there's a greater ability for us to create unity outside of the courtroom. Yeah, that's powerful. You know, there's also the verses that say uh, where the Lord says, leave vengeance for me. And I think sometimes we want to take vengeance because we know what we want to want. And I would have a lot of clients in the natural who would come to me and they would be so ticked off about something, they want to sue somebody. And I would have to point out to them that you can only sue according to the relief that the law provides. You can't just go and say, well, this is what I want. You have to be bound by the terms of a contract or the terms of a law. And so the same is true for us. We can't come and say, well, that's not the way I want it. The purpose of the courts is not for us to seek to establish what I want. The purpose of the courts is to establish God's purposes, and his purpose is for unity among the brethren. That is so good. So back to this thing about can you take someone to court, uh, what would it look like then to mediate? Usually mediation happens, and this is very interesting. If I was mediating a regular case for clients, my client and I would be put away in one room. We would not see the opposite party, and the opposite party would be in another room with their attorney, And there's a third attorney, kind of like a judge, 
who goes back and forth between the two rooms. I never see the other party. I never see the other party as counsel. We never have a conversation together. But we establish with the mediator, the person who is going back and forth, and we say, this is our position. This is where what our grievance is. This is what we would like the reconciliation to be. And this is the basis for it, either the underlying contract or what the law is. And he would take it to the other party and hear what their grievance was and what their position was. And he would try to work and find that common ground where we would come together. And we would have to understand that there must be uh, a compromise. There must be a willingness to uh, not just be so belligerent to have your own way. Wherever there were clients who were bitter or belligerent, they would always fail mediation because they couldn't find that common ground. Yeah. And now that's breaking that unity you were talking about. Yeah. And if Jesus is described as our mediator, and oftentimes it's probably going to be an angel who is operating on his behalf going back and forth. But for me, the way I would practically do it is I would just pray and say, Lord, you know what our heart is. You know what the issues are. Your word says this. And so I submit that to you. And, you know, it's likely that you'll never even hear or know what the other conversation is. You won't even know what the mediator says to the other party. Right. But, but at the end of the day, there's an agreement on the table that you both sign. And I think that was partly your experience as well, is that the angel asked you, do you want to mediate this? But then you didn't really know what happened until the matter was just automatically resolved in the natural realm. Is that right? That is, it was a book contract. And I had a real problem with my publisher. I had a legal contract. I had all the right reasons why I could go into the courts of heaven and and bring justice to the situation. But I prayed and I said, okay, you know, in this dream I had, and I just turned it over to the mediating angel. About two weeks later, didn't do anything. I got my contract back in the mail without even contacting anyone and everything was resolved. In other words, God took it. On my behalf, but I didn't have to go before the judge, which means someone needs to be uh, right and someone's wrong. You know, if you go before a judge, that's what happens, right? That's exactly what happens. And the judge imposes what he is willing to establish as a court precedent. And uh, that's not always what you want. The judge might have an agenda that is against you in a natural realm. And, you know, the Lord's agenda is not my side or your side. There's a verse about that where they ask, you know, they ask the angel, whose side are you on? And he said, I'm on the Lord's side. Wow. And I think that's something that we need to remember is the Lord isn't necessarily on my side. He's on his own side, and I want to get on his side. So that's what we do when we agree with the word. Um, I think a powerful verse for this, though, is Zechariah 4, 6. It says, not by might and not by strength, but by my spirit. Yeah, that is so good. So this is what got me into the uh, courts of heaven. I remember back in 2011, I emailed you when I had that dream and this experience started to happen, and yeah. I started to get into it because the other other dream I had was I was going into the courts of heaven to make this file this complaint against a believer. It was a brother, and yeah. uh, and the and it was jam packed with with Christians accusing each other, and yeah. that and, and and every time you make an accusation in prayer or in the courts anywhere, if you make an accusation in prayer in your words. That's the courts of heaven. And this angel said to me in the dream, listen, we have to assign uh, heavenly resources. It's pulling away from potential revival because the courts of heaven are so jam-packed. And that's when I realized why the Apostle Paul said, don't sue each other in court. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, and you know what? It's funny because, you know, I was a practicing attorney and I did this business and the inheritance, but I never did any litigation. And it's so funny because people, clients would come to me and say, well, I want to, you know, file a lawsuit. And I would have to explain, well, I'm not the attorney who does litigation, which always confused people. But it's the same even in the courts of heaven. People will say, well, I want to take this person to court in the heavens. And I'm like, well, I'm not the person who will do that for you because the call of Christ is unity. And you mentioned this earlier that Abel's blood cries for vengeance. But in Hebrews, it says that Christ's blood cries out for something much better, for redemption and restoration. Wow. And I think if we have a heart in coming to the courts, that my heart, with any issues that I have with my brethren, saved or unsaved, it's for redemption and restoration. And that's really the heart. And I think that's also a sign of maturity. And if we are going to be able to step into the promises and we can do it from that place, there's so much freedom in that place because, I mean, we know that if we're angry at somebody, the bitterness and how it weighs us down, you know, and where there is truth, there is freedom, not accusation and division. So the truth of the courts is to not have my way be right or his way be right, but to have God's way be right. That is so powerful. I feel the weight, even mm. even on our, our conversation. I know the, the Holy Spirit's so powerfully present, but this is a serious, like the weight of heaven is on this. I wouldn't call it the fear of the Lord, but it sure is a serious uh, <laughs> feeling and spirit that's here. It, it's almost sobering. Uh, and the words that you've been, spoken, um, Elizabeth, this is such a balance. I've never heard, out of all the courts of heaven material and teachings, I've never heard this balance that you're bringing right now about wow. justice, about it being relationship, you know, about yeah. being redemption-oriented and not to accuse the brethren. It's yeah. so, so powerful. Wow. You know, I know that both you and I have this call to propel people into their destiny, and for me, the courts, that's part of its function, right? Is when we step into the promises of God, we're stepping into our destiny. And one of the things that's really important to me, you know, people are always asking, how do I step into my destiny? When I look at King David's life before he was king, when Saul was still going after him, do you remember the story where Saul went after him in the cave and Saul went into the cave to poop and David was in there and his mighty men were saying, look, this is God's promise. He's delivered him to you. You know, go and kill him. Take him and take your rightful place on the throne. Here you have a man, David, who's been anointed as king. He knows it. And here is the king who's not following God. And that's kind of a classic situation of, I'm right, God's anointed me for this, and I should step into it. And yet we see in this account in 1 Samuel that David did not take that opportunity. He tore a bit of Saul's cloak, and when Saul left, David went out of the cave and threw himself on his face and called to him first and said, my king, my king, why have you come to kill me? And then he says, my father, my father, know that my hand is not set against you. And I think that's a really important piece that you may see that I'm clearly anointed for something and somebody's standing in my way of what God has promised me, but it's not even up to us to put ourselves in that position. 
And what David did was model this great thing of saying, I know who I am. I know what God has anointed me for, but I also know that these are gifts to me. God's given me this anointing. He's given me this destiny. He's given me this promise. He's actually also going to give me the time to step into it. Yeah. I've never heard that, and it, especially in the prophetic realm. You know, we can have prophetic words, mm-hmm. and we can try to grab hold of them, and that's why lawlessness gets in there. We speak against leaders because, we, you know, we don't understand this very principle of honor, the very yeah. principle of not bringing division, but bringing yes. unity. This is so powerful. The presence is so strong right now. Yeah. So we've been talking with Elizabeth Nixon, and— uh, I just tell you, the presence is so strong. There's power in her words, and she's releasing. There's an anointing on her. How many spirit-filled attorneys do you meet who have such a great understanding of God's grace? So, Elizabeth, why don't you release that and pray over us and activate it over the listeners? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the judge. And we don't have to quake or be afraid in that place because we are not the ones that you're judging. Your blood has cleansed us. You see us sin-free. There is no guilt on our head. When we come before you, we are truly the innocent party. And you desire that we would bring our cases before you so that you can rule in our favor. And so, Father, I just release upon those who are listening here now a boldness to come before your throne of grace, a boldness to bring the promises from your word, a boldness to bring the prophetic uh, words that have been spoken over them, a boldness to bring the desires of their heart to you. And, Father, I thank you that your word tells us in Revelation 12, 10, that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. And we just speak that out. I decree that the enemy, the one who accuses us day and night, he has been cast down. And when we come into the court of inheritance, the court of stepping into the promise, there is no enemy. This is a matter between me and the will of my father. And his will is that I would be led by his spirit. Father, I thank you for an outpouring of your spirit that you speak to each of us in language that we understand. Father, you speak to me in the language of the courts because I have that lawyer mind. But Father, for the artist, you will speak to them as an artist. Father, for those who come before you with creativity or with uh, mindsets that are more mechanical, Lord, you speak to them in their words. Holy Spirit, I release you to move upon them to see with clarity what you have set before them. And your desire to show it to them is so that you can release it to them. And Father, I just speak out of great grace for that place where we are between the promise and the receiving of the promise. A great grace as you cause us to become the ones who can step into the fullness of the promise. Father, I thank you for the repayment and for the restoration and for the release of the promise. I pray in Jesus' mighty, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Wow, what power. So, Elizabeth, how can our followers get in touch with you, and do you have any types of training? Yes, uh, my website is White Quill Media, W-H-I-T-E-Q-U-I-L-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. 
Uh, I have a bunch of teachings on there. There is two teachings on the courts of heaven. You can get CDs, or if you don't have the money for CDs, they are both available in free PDF ebook format. So I don't want to come and bring anything and say, hey, for $29.95, you can have a key. <laughs> <laughs> it's there for free, but if you prefer to listen and have it in the car with you, then you can also get on DVD. I'm also on Facebook at White Quill Media, and I post decrees there often as well, and Twitter at White Quill Media. Wow. Hey, everybody, you need to reach out to Elizabeth. Get this stuff in your spirit. I recommend getting the audio because it gets into your spirit. You can listen to it again and again. I've learned a lot from my good friend who I haven't, we haven't really seen each other in person in a while, but um, been we've been friends for a very long time, and I'm so excited what you and John are doing. You're about to enter into a new season. Elizabeth, you, John, and Joshua are about to enter into this new season after September. Something's going to shift over you guys. I see the wind of the Lord now shifting where it had been uh, kind of blowing against you because of all the new things you're doing. It's going to shift to your back. And if that is for you too, I'm telling you, grab hold of it by faith. So thank you so much, Elizabeth. You're so welcome. It's been a joy. Yeah. All right, everybody. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Spirit Connection with Doug Addison. Connect with him online at DougAddison.com.